Good morning, everyone. I don't believe it's ever fair to have to come up and follow such beautiful music. <laughs> it's just not fair. <laughs> no, that was great, guys. Thank you for that. Well, this morning we're going to return to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're continuing to talk about the subject of resurrection. And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19 specifically this morning. Did you ever hear the story of the resurrection bunny? This one time a woman looked out her kitchen window and saw her dog have something in its mouth. And she ran outside to investigate and she could tell as she got closer it was a rabbit. And the rabbit was lifeless. And as she got even closer, she recognized that the rabbit was the neighbor's pet bunny. And she felt terrible, and she was there in a moment of panic and wondering what she should do. And so she hatched a plan in her mind. She, she, she grabbed the bunny, took it inside, took it into her bathroom, put the bunny in a bathtub, turned on the water, shampooed the bunny, cleaned up the fur, Got the bunny out, dried it off, got the hair dryer out, blew the, fluffed the bunny's fur up, you know, and had the bunny looking pretty good despite the fact that it was dead. And she went over with the bunny to the neighbor's house, and there on their porch is where they kept a little rabbit hutch for their pet bunny. And she just kind of put the bunny back in the hutch, shut the door, went back over to her home, and basically hoped the neighbors would never find out what happened. Well, a little bit later that day, the neighbor lady came over and came up to the door, rang the doorbell. The woman answered the door. The woman was crying, and she was somewhat panicked. And she started to tell, you know, the, the lady said, what's wrong? And the lady's like, well, well our, our bunny died last week, and we buried it, but now it's back. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> I didn't make that up. That's Ken Davis. (laughs) That's good. Well, the bunny had a bit of a resurrection, but it really wasn't resurrection, was it? The bunny was uh, spruced up, but still dead. But this morning, again, we return to the subject of resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. In the case of the bunny, that was a lie. There was no resurrection. The bunny was as dead as it was before the bath and before the restoration process. But we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is a fundamental reality and truth for the Christian. And in this chapter, again, Paul is correcting a teaching that was coming in where some were believing and saying there is no resurrection from the dead. And Paul Uh, is basically destroying that belief (laughs) because it's so not true. It's such a harmful lie. He is doing so by showing them again that if you take away the resurrection from the dead, you are actually taking away the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in our passage here, he goes a step further and he says, and if you take away the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have nothing. That's what this passage is describing. Paul is going through a hypothetical situation. It's like he says, okay, you say there's no resurrection. 
let's take it to its logical conclusion. If there's no resurrection, then Jesus didn't rise. And he goes through, and he is answering the question, what if? What if there really is no resurrection? And he gives a series of things here that we're going to explore this morning. We're going to explore the following four major ideas that Paul presents in this passage, basically. That without resurrection, Christ is not Lord. Without resurrection, there is no gospel. Without resurrection, there is no salvation. And finally, without resurrection, there is no hope. And we might as well pack it up and head home. That is what he presents in these few verses, 12 through 19, and we'll explore those now. Let's read this passage, beginning with verse 12, 1 Corinthians 15. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. This is a very powerful passage here. Is he is really seeking to hit home the consequences of what they believe. And this is sort of a theme in this passage is that truth matters. And what you believe matters. It's going to impact your life. What you believe will impact your daily life. And he's showing them here, if what you believe about the resurrection is true, you're actually destroying the bedrock of Christianity. You're destroying all of these things here. So let's begin to walk through this as Paul presents it. And look especially at verse 12. And he makes the statement that, If Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do you say there's no resurrection? He's saying, look, you say you believe in the gospel of Christ, which includes his resurrection. We've been preaching that. Just a few verses earlier, he explained how he saw the Lord, Peter saw the risen Lord, James saw the risen Lord, all the apostles saw the resurrected Lord. A group of 500 or more people saw the resurrected Lord. He says, how can you say there's no resurrection of the dead if this is what you say you stand for, if you stand for the resurrection of Christ? How can you say there's no resurrection of the dead? That is a contradictory viewpoint. You can't hold both to be true at the same time. You know, and I'll just branch off here from it. It's interesting because, you know, we live in a time in a society where contradictory beliefs are kind of in vogue. It's kind of accepted that, you can believe whatever you want to believe. You don't, you don't, not, there has to, doesn't have to be really truth or logic behind it. You get to pick what is true for you. The person next to you can pick what's true for them. If they're contradictory, so what? It doesn't matter. It's all subjective. Well, the Bible never gives us that option. The truth is reality. That's what truth is. 
Truth is not just something you believe in your heart. Truth is reality. Truth is what's real. And in this passage, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's what's real and what everything else is based on. And it doesn't matter what everybody feels about it or thinks about it. It's what's real. We have to go with what's real. And that's truth. And that's what we see as important through all of these verses. But again, what Paul is basically saying here, and this is the first thing on your outline here, is that if the dead are not raised, Christ is not risen. That's the logical thing. You can't believe both of these things at the same time. You can't believe that nobody's resurrected and then say, but Jesus is resurrected. That's contradictory. The concept of bodily resurrection goes far back in Scripture and in time. You remember the story of Job, the book of Job? Job went through this horrible, immense suffering in his life, faced things that most of us wouldn't want to even imagine. And Job is considered by some to be perhaps the oldest book of Scripture. And it contains one of the perhaps greatest expressions of the hope of resurrection. When Job himself, in the midst of his suffering, said this in Job 19, 25 through 26, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. What is he clearly referencing there? Again, Job 19, 25 through 26. A hope of bodily resurrection. After my skin is destroyed, I still one day be in flesh again and I will see God. That's resurrection. That's what Job's talking about. So resurrection is a truth throughout the pages of Scripture. And when you get to 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is simply affirming that belief. Daniel talked about it. Christ talked about it. And here Paul talks about it. So these people in the Corinthian church that were teaching these things, they knew better. They knew the scriptures. They knew the words of the apostles. They knew of the testimony of Jesus' resurrection. And so he calls them back to this fundamental truth that resurrection is indeed what God's plans are. If you take away resurrection and therefore take away the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's like what Adrian Rogers once said. Without the resurrection, Christianity topples like a house of cards. That's what happens. These things matter. And the the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you know, if you really think of how fundamental and foundational that is, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, we would probably not know the names of the apostles. We would not have seen any New Testament books written. We never would have seen a first century Christian church. Everybody would have went home. Remember the apostles were in fear and live in a room in Jerusalem after, after he died? What makes us think they ever would have came out if he didn't rise from the dead? They would, they would have lived out their days in disappointment and despair. And the things that we're reading today wouldn't even, be, wouldn't even exist. And everything else we believe is so tied to the fact that he bodily rose out of the grave that resurrection Sunday so many years ago. If you take away the resurrection of Christ, you literally have nothing left. Paul goes on, verse 13, he says, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. 
again, that's, he's showing this logical connection. You can't believe one or the other. You have to believe both. But think for a minute on what the, even the name Christ means. Christ means anointed. He was God's anointed servant. He was the one chosen before, during the, you know, you go back before the foundation of the world, and Jesus Christ was chosen to come into this world to be incarnate, to live as a man, to die for your sins and mine, to be buried and to rise again the third day. That's what Christ was chosen to do. Christ means anointed. And if Christ did not rise, then he is not who he claimed. This is not something Paul says explicitly here, but it is certainly implied. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he is not who he claimed to be. So we ask the question, what did he claim to be? He claimed to be the Son of God. He claimed to be Lord. He claimed to be Christ. If he didn't rise from the dead, all of that's false. He's just another guy. He's not who he claimed. We know Jesus is the Son of God. How do we know that? Well, one major proof, the major proof, is that he rose from the dead. Romans 1, 1 through 4 gives us this thought. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 1, 1 through 4, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. And verse 4 is the key verse here. And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying in Romans 1, 1 through 4, the one who died, he rose again. He's the one that called me into ministry. He's the one that appeared to me. And I know he's God because the resurrection of the dead declares that he is God. It proves beyond any shadow of a doubt he is who he claimed to be. He is the Son of God. He is God's anointed, the Christ, or the Messiah. And He is Lord. For the first century Christians, Lord was another way of just acknowledging He's God. Lord in the New Testament is Jehovah in the Old Testament, basically. Jesus is God. This was something that the Apostle Peter explained as well. Turn with me in your Bible to the book of Acts, chapter 2. The book of Acts, chapter 2. And we'll take a few moments and read a passage here, something the Apostle Peter said. Acts, chapter 2, beginning with verse 29. Peter here is explaining to the people of Israel the facts that Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and he's coming back one day. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 29, Peter says this, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. You can connect that to Romans, what we just read. It's very similar to what Paul said. He is of the seed of David according to the flesh. He is, therefore, the rightful Christ and Messiah of Israel. But we go on here, verse 31. 
He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor, his, nor did his flesh see corruption. Peter is saying, David prophesied that Christ would rise again. And now we've seen it. Verse 32, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Again, the resurrected Christ is what brought him out of the room that they were hiding in. The resurrected Christ is where they got their boldness. It was the resurrected Christ that poured out the Spirit on these believers that we're reading about here in Acts 2 as part of their mission to Israel. Verse 33 goes on, Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter says, you killed him, but God raised him up. God exalted him at the right hand of the Father. He's going to come back one day to inherit his kingdom, and this will be his kingdom one day. That's all going to happen. The resurrection proves all that. And the resurrection proves beyond shadow of doubt that Jesus indeed is Christ and is Lord. Therefore, we have a Savior. Therefore, we have a great God, Lord and Savior, who knows how we feel when we struggle and knows what temptation's like, as Hebrews tells us. If you take the resurrection away, you take Him away. And then what are we left with? No Lord, no Christ, no one to turn to in our difficulty and pain and the hardships of life and persecution. We have no one to carry us through. So what? We might as well eat, drink, and be merry, right? For tomorrow we die. But if he did rise from the dead, right? And if he did, then all of this is true. And here we stand. So without resurrection, there would be no Lord. But there is. We go on in the passage, and now we see that Paul kind of builds another point, that without resurrection, there is no gospel. There's no good news. There's nothing really worth talking about anymore. Look at verse 14. He says, and if Christ is not risen, that's the what if, then our preaching is empty, And your faith is also empty. So verse 14 is saying, if he didn't rise, if there's no resurrection, Christ did not rise, what we're telling you is false and useless, and what you believe in is useless. If Christ did not rise, the gospel is useless. Empty, powerless, and of no effect. In other words, what Paul came to preach to them what others were preaching of that time, the resurrection of Christ. If that's not true, then there is no truth of Christianity. None of it's true. There is no longer any message to even believe in. Without resurrection from the dead, there's no gospel, no truth for the believer to live by. So then he's asking them, so what are you believing in after all? What are you trusting in? You can look out in the world And you will see, because of the life 
people choose to live, you can see fundamentally what they trust in. It comes out in how you, you act, how you talk. What you believe in your heart comes out in your life. When you see people out in the world, hateful, in great confusion over their own identity, whatever you want to say, what all the, the ills and problems of the world, If, there's, if the message of Christianity is not true, how can you, you can't even say they're wrong. You can't even say there's anything else worth believing in. You have no alternative to offer. We might as well live like the world if Jesus did not rise from the dead because there's no point in carrying on with this. It would ultimately mean that Christianity has nothing to offer the world. We would have nothing to give, no truth to offer, no hope to extend, no reason for joy. See, Paul is spelling this out. And he takes time in these few verses to really hit home what he's saying. That if you really want to go this way, this is all that it will cost you in the end. It will cost you everything. One thing we come away with here, I mean, obviously the gospel would be destroyed. We'd have no good news to share. We, we would have no tracts to hand out. We would have no Jesus to share with the world. But even beyond that, we, again, we see how important truth is. Again, the, the resurrection of Christ and therefore our resurrection is intertwined with all of Christianity. Again, to lose it would be to lose Christianity and put ourselves back into the shackles of sin and despair. What we believe matters. It's why Paul ever even went to Corinth in the first place. He could have been comfortable at home. He could have been much less persecuted in his life. Because he was stoned, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, chased out of town. All kinds of things he suffered, as did the other apostles as well to some point. Why did they do all of that? It's because they sincerely believed that Jesus rose from the dead because they saw it. And therefore, they were gripped with that conviction to go out to the places Jesus was sending them to make sure others knew that he rose from the dead so they too could have hope that they could have a life worth living in Jesus Christ. If you take the resurrection away, that all goes up in smoke. There is no gospel. Furthermore, if Christ did not rise, the apostles are liars. That's the implication in verse 15. He says, yes, and if we are found false, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. He's saying, look, it wouldn't only make us wrong, it makes us deceivers. That's what what you're calling us now. If you're saying there's no resurrection, you're saying Paul and the twelve and all these other people were nothing but liars. They would just be liars. Which would mean what about all the things they said and did? That would also be a lie. What would that mean about every New Testament book in the Bible? Just lies. Lies based on lies. That's all it would be. It seems like Paul is tapping in to what respect the Corinthians still had for 
the apostles. Earlier, again, read it in our scripture reading, but verses uh, 5 through 9, Paul goes through and again goes over all the people that saw the Lord. Cephas in verse 5 is Peter, then the twelve. And then it talks about James in verse 7. Then Paul talks about himself in verses 8 and 9. They all had seen the risen Lord again. If you don't believe this, you're saying we're liars. We're deceivers. You could imagine, you know, you, you take that, you, you think about that claim that these guys are liars. You know, you think about if, if you really believed, you had somebody in your life that you trusted, maybe for over the course of years, and you made fundamental life decisions based on what they told you, and you really had a high level of trust in what they said, and then you found out years later that it all had been a lie? Man, that would be devastating, wouldn't it? Absolutely devastating. But again, that's what Paul's saying. You're, you're calling all of us nothing but liars. If you're saying what we have been preaching and preaching our hearts out about is simply a lie. Again, without resurrection, there is no gospel. There's no good news. There's nothing to offer the world. As we move on to the next few verses, we'll look at 16 through 18. He says, For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Here he's basically repeating what he said back in verse 13. He's introducing kind of like a second mini-series of arguments. Again, if you say there's no resurrection, then Christ is not risen. And here's some other things that are true. Not only is everything we've been saying false, and we're liars, and your faith is useless, but there's some more things, too, that we lose along the way. Without resurrection, there is no salvation. Verse 17 brings it home. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. If Christ did not rise, sins are not forgiven. Again, what's the point then of all this Christian stuff? Forgiveness of of sins... um, Lost my train of thought there for a second. Forgiveness of sins is one of the things that makes Christianity so radical compared to every other religious faith in the world. The idea that a holy God can actually pardon, forgive, wipe out your sins. I don't know of any other religions that can offer the human heart that kind of an offer. Every other religion offers you some means to atone for yourself, to somehow pay back the cost of your sin, to somehow tip the scales in your favor whether it's the religions of Eastern mysticism or denominations here in the West that misunderstand the gospel, it doesn't really matter. It comes down to the idea that they're trying to create a man-made salvation where you're constantly trying to get over the hurdle of somehow atoning for your own sins and you live a life in shackled because of that. You're always trying to do a little bit more to make yourself right. But Jesus Christ comes into the world to die for our sins. And through his name now is preached the forgiveness of sins to the whole world. That's what he's telling them here. If you take that away, you've taken away the forgiveness of sins. You've taken away the very you've gutted Christianity. There's no hope. We have no way to get to heaven. We're still lost in our sins. We're still condemned before a holy God. If Jesus did not rise 
from the dead. Romans 4.25, something Paul says here. Romans 4.25, he says of Jesus Christ these words, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. He was delivered because of our offenses. That means he went to the cross because of our sins. But when he was raised again, he says that's for our justification. Justification means to be declared righteous before a holy and righteous God. Paul is saying if Jesus did not rise from the dead, there's no justification. He's just another dead guy in a tomb somewhere. Like all the other so-called major religious founders of the world and of history. They're still in their graves. Jesus is not. That's the difference. That's why we believe in Christianity and not. He rose. And with him he brought forgiveness of sins. And Paul says basically this. If he hadn't risen from the dead, then we would have to believe that God didn't count sacrifice on our behalf is any good but his resurrection proves that his sacrifice was accepted and therefore when you trust in jesus christ as your savior when you personally put your faith in his death burial and resurrection and that's all it takes is you just trust in him and what he did for you you in that moment are declared justified you are declared righteous before the holy and righteous god of the universe and nothing can ever change that If you take away resurrection, you take away the resurrection of Christ, you take away our justification, we're still in our sins. We're still unforgiven. We have no salvation, and therefore we have no future with God. Paul adds this in verse 19, or excuse me, verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. He says, not only are you in your sins, but think of the Christian brothers and sisters that have already died and went on. What about their sins? What about the eternal fate of their souls? See, if Christ did not rise, then dead Christians are lost forever. They are eternally condemned. Along with the rest of humanity. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then there's no salvation and everybody's going to the lake of fire forever. That's the only alternative we're left with. Those people who they had buried with the hope of resurrection, they would now have to understand there is no hope. We'll never see them again. We're all doomed to eternal condemnation because we're apart from Christ. We have no forgiveness. Again, this, again, as we're saying through this whole message, this is why resurrection matters. The impact it has on all these other points of view we would have in our heart, these beliefs, and how it would impact our daily life. You take it away, you lose everything. Without resurrection, there is no hope. We come to verse 19, and he says, In this life, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. What's he saying here? He's saying that they've wasted their lives. They've did all this for nothing. At this point, Paul's been ministering for, I don't know, maybe 15 or so years. He's been traveling the Roman world, going cross-cultural, taking the abuse, taking the beatings and all the things we've mentioned already. Just getting hammered for his faith in Christ. And if one day he woke up and thought, you know what, this isn't true. What in the world's he been doing with his life? 
Why would he go through all these hardships day after day if it wasn't true? No, the fact that these men were willing to suffer for this truth, they were willing to go to the next person and preach that Jesus had risen from the dead and all that goes along with that, the fact that they were willing to do that in the face of severe opposition and persecution is one of the greatest proofs that what they said is true. And he did rise from the dead. But one implication of verse 19 is, if Christ did not rise, he is only a good moral example. And that's what a lot of, a lot of people in the world want to make him. Well, Jesus was a good religious teacher. He was a good moral teacher. I do read the Bible to get some good moral lessons. You know, that kind of mentality. The problem is, you cannot read the words of Jesus Christ and he claimed to be, and simply turn away and said, I think he was just a good moral teacher who was understood by his, or misunderstood by his disciples. He doesn't leave that on because he preaches, he preached who he was, and he showed what he could do. But the reality is that if a person did what Jesus did and said what Jesus said, there's only three possibilities. And C.S. Lewis is one that popularized this, this, what I'm going to share here, this thought. There's only three possibilities, only three options. You, when, anybody who reads about Christ and is confronted with his actions and his words, they can only make one of three choices. And, and I'll, spoiler alert, only one of them is accurate. <laughs> the first is, it's just to assume he's just a crazy guy. That he, maybe he really believed he was the Son of God. And he was so crazy, all the people that followed him were crazy enough to believe he was really doing miracles, and they were just a bunch of crazy nuts. The problem is, crazy only gets you so far. Crazy, crazy doesn't usually take you through multiple persecutions and sufferings. See, the idea that he was a lunatic doesn't hold water to the record of Scripture and the eyewitness accounts and the historical accounts that go along with Christianity. There's no way he's just a crazy lunatic. It doesn't, that theory doesn't hold any water. The second option is just to assume, well, maybe he wasn't crazy, but he was just evil. And everything was a lie. That he just, it was all a lie. And he was such a good liar that he even had people believing that he somehow did these miracles. But you're basically saying, that if a person did what he did and said what he said, and it's all just this grand scheme and a lie, then Jesus is basically the devil now. Again, you go back to the record of the apostles and what they went through, what they were willing to die for. And even Jesus, even the people that opposed Jesus knew what he was claiming. The liar idea doesn't hold any water. So if he's not a lunatic and he's not a liar, there's one third option. He is Lord. And that he is who he said he is, that he is the Son of God, that he is Christ. That's the only logical answer to be able to do and say what he did. And that's the convictions the apostles held. That's the convictions the first, the first century Christians held. And they held on to that to their deaths often. What we believe is not just made up fables, but it is historical truth. It is real. And Paul says... But if it wasn't, you only have hope in this life. You don't have hope for the next, right? There's really no hope. So what if you have hope in this life? He was getting hammered for his faith. He would have been better off to turn from it, go back to tent making 100% of the time, and live out his days in some level of comfort. 
But no, the resurrected Christ compelled him to keep ministering, to keep preaching the truth, to keep moving forward, to keep taking the beatings and the persecution, to keep going on. But he says again in verse 19, if Christ is not risen, if that's the thought, then he also says, we are of all men the most pitiable. That's really true for any Christian. I think he has in mind, he's talking about him as one of the apostles. He's the apostle to the Gentiles with the gospel of the grace of God. But the other, the 12 apostles to Israel, they would have been wasting their time too. They would have been most pitiable as well for all the things that they were going through. All of these men would be wasting their lives. If Christ did not rise, the apostles had wasted their lives. That's the implication. And that they, above anything, should not be respected or admired, but should be pitied above any other person. Another possible translation is to say they would be of all men most miserable. Because why were they going through all this stuff if it's all just a lie? Why would they waste their, the remaining days of their life? But the conclusion to us is clear. Because of those apostles who were willing to be martyred, because of the Christians who were willing to be persecuted, because they were willing to give life and limb to get, get the word of Christ to the next town, the next country, the next person, is that it was all true. And they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. The dead do rise because Jesus did rise from the dead. Everything points to that. The transformation of the apostles points to that. The freedom that you and I experience from sin and the peace and joy we can have in our daily lives point to the fact that he really is alive right now. The claims and miracles of Jesus Christ point to that. The scripture declares that. And so here we stand upon this resurrection of Jesus Christ. Richard Wormbrand if you've heard of that name, he was a Romanian Jew who became a minister during World War II and ministered in the following years during the rise of communism as well. He boldly ministered during World War II to the occupying forces of Germany, even rescuing Jewish children from the ghettos. His wife, also Jewish, Jewish lost her family in a Nazi Christian camp. After the war, Romanian communists seized power in Romania and Russian forces came flooding into their country. Still, Warmbrand boldly ministered. He spoke out against the, the ills of communism. He continued to maintain the purity and integrity of the Christian faith and scripture, even despite the communists wanting them to pledge allegiance to communism rather than Christianity. He stood against that. He continued to speak the truth. He even reached out, handed out gospels, and sp sp uh, shared the gospel with Russian soldiers, with these Russian communist soldiers in his own country, and while he still ministered to his own kinsmen. It is said that he handed out over a million gospels to Russian troops. Because of his faith, he was imprisoned twice during communist rule for a period of 13 years because of his faith. And during that time, he was tortured, including beatings and even the practice of being refrigerated to near death and then brought out to thaw out again. Yet, he remained faithful. He continued to stand for Christ. He continued to share Christ with the people in his prison. Why did he do that? 
Because Jesus rose from the dead. And it's all true. And it's worth living for. And it's worth dying for. And he believed that in his life. And it came out in how he conducted himself. It came out in his life despite intense and direct persecution. Richard Wormbrand had Jesus Christ to carry him through all those hardships and persecutions and trials. Just as you and I have Christ with us right now carrying us through whatever it is we're facing today. Let us, too, remain faithful and confident in our resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your scripture that always ministers to our heart. May we continue to be led by the Spirit. May we be filled with boldness to confess and to tell people that Jesus Christ indeed has risen from the dead and that he died for their sins and that they can trust him for salvation. And may we be bold, whatever Satan throws at us, throws at us, whatever the world brings our way. Help us to be faithful for your truth, Lord, which changes lives and gives eternal hope to souls. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.